You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. <laughs> I need to say it one more time before I preach this message today. There's a difference in our understanding of the scriptures, and it's often overlooked, the difference between theology and doctrine. These two lines are always running through the scriptures, theology and doctrine. And most of us hear these terms and have no idea what they mean or what the difference is. But there is a huge difference in them. They sometimes say the same things. Each, our theology will say the same thing as our doctrine, and our doctrine the same thing as our theology. However, the theology of the Scripture is always about God and His point of view or what He has done, His part in this covenant. The doctrine is largely about our understanding of it and our response to His action, our reaction to His action, our response to His provision. Okay? And you find it in, in stated in Ephesians, 8, uh, Ephesians 2 and 8, very clearly it says, For by grace are you saved. Well, now that's not anything that has to do with you. That has something to do with God. You didn't generate grace. You didn't create grace. You didn't make grace possible. Somebody else did. Who did that? God did that. So that's a theological statement. For by grace are you saved. You understand this? And then by, through faith. Through faith. That's, oh, now that's not the part that God did. That's the part that you do. That's the part that you received. But now God, God had a play in that. Don't misunderstand. But you must believe. When you believe it, you receive it. This wonderful grace. So grace is our theology. Faith is our doctrine. Teaching us how, our, how we respond. Okay? Now, as a pastor, Miss Ann and I, we have, to, we have to approach you on both levels on a regular basis. We tend to be highly theological. We want you to know what God has done for you. We keep talking about this all the time, all that God has provided, that you are saved by grace through faith, and that it is just really just a matter of you believing what the Lord has done that causes you to come into relationship with Him. But there are times in the Scriptures, ladies and gentlemen, friends and family, <laughs> amen, there are times when the Bible gives us direct admonition and teaches us that there are some things we're supposed to do. I don't ever want you to get it mixed up, though, that that doing somehow obtains your righteousness or seals your eternity in heaven. If that wasn't done at Calvary, there's nothing you can ever do to make it happen. That has to be settled in your heart and in your mind that that was accomplished at Calvary and you believe that what Jesus did, it is like Miss Ann said, it is finished there. Your righteousness and your eternal life, your, 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 your eternity in heaven is all secured by what Jesus did and not about what you did. However, when you get to glory, you're going to be judged on the basis of what you've done. Not whether or not you get to go to glory, but whether or not you have anything after you get there. There are eternal rewards there. Amen. I, I do not believe God is a communist or even anything like a socialist. I believe God is a pure to the bone cal uh, 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 capitalist. That's the word I was looking for. God is a capitalist. You're going to get what you work for. Uh, you're going to get what you work for. Where are all the Republicans? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 
you're going to get what you work for yeah. in glory. You're not yes. going to be just handed a bunch. You're going to, go to, you're going to go to glory because you got born into the family. Amen. Yes. You get born into the family, you're going, to, you're going to receive eternal life because you're in God's family. That settles it. But depending on how you perform depends, that, 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 that dictates your eternal rewards, what you receive in glory. Do you know that some people are going to be crying in heaven? There are going to be people crying in heaven, weeping over what they did not do, over the missed opportunities they had. You're going to fold your arms and say, Preacher, I read the book. It says there are no, no tears in heaven. The Bible never, ever says that. The Bible says there's lots of tears in heaven. The Bible says he will wipe away all tears. So that means there must be people crying. What are they crying about? They're crying about their missed opportunities. They're crying about what they didn't do with what they had. Come on, anybody here ever missed an opportunity? Well, I want to talk to you today about how not to miss those opportunities. Amen. Is it all right if we talk a little bit about how to succeed and why? I want to talk to you about seven reasons why success sometimes evades us. Seven reasons why we sometimes don't have, don't have success. Why success sometimes escapes us. We found it in Numbers chapter 13. I'm going to put this in the New Testament context theologically. But there are things for you to hear here. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Okay? It's not profitable to make you righteous, but it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. That's what it says. This is not going to make you righteous. You're not going to get righteous this way. I want all of you who are not familiar with my teaching to hear me say this. You're not going to be made righteous by how you perform. You're made righteous one way because you believed on the gospel. Christ died for your sins. He was buried and He rose again the third day. But you need instruction in that righteousness. Just like every baby. A baby doesn't become, our children didn't become hollers because they learned how to walk. Did you hear me? They didn't become hollers because they learned how to walk. They became hollers because they were born into this family. Right. Amen. 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 So you're not going to become something in the family of God or a person in the family of God because you learned to do a certain thing. You're in the family when you come to Jesus, but you need some instruction in that righteousness. Instruction in righteousness means that you're willing to learn, means you know in your own heart and you accept the, you accept the fact that there's a need in you to grow. There's a need in you to be instructed. There's a need in you to learn something new. Well, I've been at this a long time, preacher. Yeah, I can tell. And a long time ago, you quit learning because you thought you got it all down. You keep your heart open and keep learning. God will show you things you didn't know were even in the Bible. Ooh, this is good. This is really good. Today, I want to give you seven things. Why success sometimes escapes us. Number one, we let fear of failure stall us. We let the fear of failure stall us. Number two, we think more than we pray and confess. We think more than we pray and confess. We tend to blame others. Is this just too close to home? We harbor unforgiveness and resentment. We're going to go over these. I'm, I'm, we're going to go over them a couple of more times before the day's up. We bog down, number five, we bog down in details of the problem, in the details of the problem, and lose our faith vision. Anybody ever felt bogged down? Overwhelmed? Mm -hmm. Number six, we fail to see the spiritual forces behind the problem. 
both good and bad. Yeah. And number seven, we wait too long to take action. <laughs> Just wait too long to do anything. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. And I thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I ask that you will plow these hearts, plow these hearts to receive this seed. Spirit of the living God, you are here in our midst. And I believe for change to come for everyone who is struggling today, for everyone who is hurting, for everyone who feels tied down, that they can find an avenue for success. Find the problem that's keeping them from succeeding and to help them go forward in the victory that's already been paid for at Calvary. Help us, Lord, to hear today this instruction, this doctrine, if you will, Lord, and let us grow our faith as we hear the word of God. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said amen. amen. Numbers 13.30 says, And Caleb stilled the people. If you're looking it up, then look up Numbers 13, verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Now, a few weeks ago I preached on Numbers 13. Talked to you about the spies. I think it was just two weeks ago we talked about the spies. You know, ten went up. And came back with a bad report. Two went up and came back with a good report. Ten came back saying the wrong thing. Two came back saying the right thing, right? But what we have to remember is they had all seen the same thing. So the report was not based on what they'd actually seen, but what they believed about what they'd seen. And God called the ten, said that they had an evil report. Because it wasn't about what they'd seen. It was about what they believed about what they'd seen. And really what they believed about themselves, okay? So... <laughs> I, now we're at the end of that story, just picking up where we left off last time. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once, we are well able, and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But when the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Okay? What, what I, this is where I found that first, that first idea. We let fear of failure stall us. I don't know if you're familiar with who Wayne Gretzky is, but he's considered the greatest hockey player of all time. Of all time. That's why they had to create a category for Mike Madonna with the Dallas Stars. They call Mike Madonna the greatest American-born hockey player. We wanted to acknowledge him some way. He's the greatest American-born hockey player. But he's still about 10 miles behind the greatest of all, Wayne Gretzky. There's no argument about that. He's the only hockey player in the history of the, of the NHL that they retired his number from the entire league. Yep. Nobody will ever again be number 99 in the NHL. Now, now teams, sing, single teams do this all the time. But the whole league retired his number. That's how great he was. You know what he said? He said, you always will miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yeah. <laughs> Is this too deep? <laughs> you will always miss 100% of the shots you don't take. <laughs> See, fear of failure will keep you from taking any shots, keep you from ever succeeding. You weren't called in this world just to maintain what you have. Maintenance is for managers. You weren't called to be managers. You're called to be pioneers, glory to God. The people of God, the Bible doesn't say that the gates of hell shall not prevail against those who sit around and, and, and stare at the gates. Yeah. It's interesting to notice 
that gates are not offensive weapons. Do you know this? Uh, and a, a gate is not an offensive weapon. What is a gate? It's a defensive weapon. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Well, where does that put the church? Defending or offending? The church is offending. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. That means we're supposed to be charging hell. If all you got is a water pistol, pick the thing up and charge hell. Because the gates of hell cannot stand against you. No, that, what that means is that if the gates of hell, that is the entry into hell itself, cannot, cannot uh, stand against you, that means that no trouble you know about, no enemy that is so formidable in your own eyes can stand against you, can withstand your force, because your force is not your own force. Your force is the force of the Almighty God Himself. His Spirit lives on the inside of you, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against an attacking, forward-moving church. Glory to God. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. We let fear of failure stall us. Just stand there looking, knowing you've got all the power. Verse 32 says, And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Now here's some people who've been thinking about it. They've been thinking about it. Thinking about the problem. Well, they're bigger than us. They're way bigger than us. They're, they're really bigger than us. I mean, they're, they're monumentally bigger than us. Let's just put it like this. We're like grasshoppers. They're like... The grasshoppers are that tall. Can you see up here? Grasshoppers are that big right there. Now we know there were some there there have been giants in the land. We know that, that there are giant there there have been giants on the earth. They're finding their skeletons now, fifteen feet tall. But still, fifteen feet compared to five feet or six feet. That's just two or three times the height. That's not grasshopper. You see, the more you think about it, the worse it gets. This, this is what Jesus said. Take no thought for the morrow, for tomorrow. What he's saying is, how does you thinking it over change anything? And we tend to let things go over and over and over in our minds rather than pray about them and confess the word about them. One of the reasons why success eludes you and escapes you sometimes is because you do more thinking than you do praying and confessing the word. We think more than we pray and confess. And sometimes, you know, you'll be thinking about a problem and you think you're praying about it. Somebody says to you, well, what do you think about this or that? Well, I've been, I've been thinking about that and been praying about it. No, you haven't been praying about it. You've been thinking about it. That's what you've been doing. You think you're praying, but you're not. You're just meditating on the problem. I went to a prayer meeting one time. A friend of mine invited me to a, a church, a, a nominal church. I won't say the name. <laughs> named after a certain prophet named John. Anyway, uh, I went to this, this prayer meeting on a Wednesday night. And I, and, and I was used to praying. When they call pr for prayer, I pray. That is, I open my mouth and talk about the solution. They stood up there and read this lousy litany of licentious and horrible things that have happened to people. 
over and over. She's got cancer. He's dying of this, this, and getting a divorce, and on and on and on and on. Please pray for this, pray for that. All right, now let's pray. So I knelt down there and waited for the leader to lead, and nothing ever happened. I opened my eye and looked around, and everybody's bowed down, but nobody's saying anything, not even the leader. They're just meditating on the problem. They called this prayer, and all we were doing was meditate. All I, could, all, I couldn't hear one faith thing going on in my head. Faith does not come by thinking. Faith does not come by thinking. Faith comes by hearing the word spoken. You hear me? Prayer is not supposed to be silent. I don't know who told you that you could pray silently, but well, maybe in a pinch. Maybe if you're in a communist prison camp, uh, okay. Okay, maybe. Maybe. But all other times, you need to be spitting it out. You need to spit that prayer out. I'm going to give you a little hint here to this. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, Israel. Use the King James, would you? You got a grown-up Bible back there on that computer? <laughs> I, exert, I exhort, therefore, if a grown-up could just read, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. Look at that. Supplications, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving. S-P-I-T. When you pray, spit it out for Pete's sake. Spit it out. <laughs> That's good right there. No, we were just thinking about it. We, and all I could, all that was going through my mind during that whole prayer meeting was uh, how bad these people had it. I just kept thinking about all those cancers and all those heart attacks and all those divorces and all that stuff just going through my head. Nothing was going on. They called out a prayer meeting. There was nothing happening. It won't change anything until you open your mouth and say it. But listen, that's risky. It's risky because you look like a fool. And the devil's going to tell you, well, what if it doesn't happen? What if it doesn't happen now? Well, what's everybody going to think about the way you talk? Well, they're just going to have to think. Because I'm going to be on the side of Caleb and Joshua and on the side of the unbelieving believers. These are all covenant people that were talking that way, that unbelief. You're in covenant with a great big God. You have help. You have a helper. Pray and confess His promises. If you're being challenged, He's being challenged. Did you know this? If you're being challenged, God is being challenged. You know why I know this? Because the Apostle Paul was tracking Christians down. Before he was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus, the rabbi, the vehement, fire-breathing rabbi who would just as soon kill you for confessing Jesus as look at you. He's chasing Christians down, having them put in prison, killing as many as he could get away with it. And Jesus apprehends him on the road to Damascus. And if you'll think about it just for a minute, when he's being challenged... When you're being challenged, he's being challenged. Think about what he said to Paul, to Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? <laughs> Who are you, Lord? I'm just persecuting them. Why are you persecuting me? See, I think Jesus takes it personal when the devil beats up on you. If you are his body... Miss Ann, I'm going to pinch you easy. Don't, don't swap me. That's good. What did I just do? 
I pinched you, didn't I? I pinch her sometimes when nobody else is looking, but I pinched Miss Ann. <laughs> but I really didn't pinch Miss Ann. I just pinched her arm. Yeah. All I did was pinch her arm. But she didn't say you pinched my arm. She said you pinched me. I want you to understand Jesus cares about where you are and your pinch. He cares about the problems you're involved in. You don't have to just think about them and try to work it out. He's waiting for you to call for help. He's waiting for you to talk to him, pray about it, and confess the word. Because he can do something about your situation. Amen. Come on, can I get a good amen? Tell two people, spit it out. Amen. No, I didn't say spit on them. I said <laughs> say spit it out. <laughs> I believe all the Bible is, is God's written word. I, I do. And even when he's quoting the devil, he's, he's, God's given us the record. But listen, part of it's not. The, ver, the verse and chapter breaks men put in there. Y'all know that? That's not necessarily inspired, the verse and chapter breaks. I think this is one of them that shouldn't have put a chapter break. Let's keep reading chapter 14, verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said, Would to God we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness. Hmm. And they actually spake of stoning them at one point. Third reason why success escapes us because we tend to blame others. We tend to blame others. Well, you just made me mad. No, she didn't make you mad, Ralph. You just got mad. You thought that anger would be a good weapon to use in the argument that you didn't have good thought for. Is that crickets or a pin dropping? I don't know. I hear, I, I can, sure got quiet in here. I'm not licensed to preach in a Presbyterian church. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Sure got quiet. <laughs> Tend to blame others. What you're feeling is not somebody else's fault. What you're lacking is not somebody else's fault. What you're not doing is not somebody else's fault. It's my deal. That made me so mad. No, that didn't make you mad. You just gave yourself a permission to be mad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good because it's the truth. I used to have such a foul temper. I know that's hard for you to believe. I had such a foul temper. And Ann and I had gotten into it. We had a beautiful home. I had a great job. Everything was going so well. Had the prettiest, I'd married the prettiest girl in Love County. Craig's not here, so he can't say anything about Brittany. <laughs> She's from Love County. Things were going so well, but we argued and fussed pretty often. And every time we would argue and fuss, she, she never made any sense. You guys know how women are. They just don't make any sense. <laughs> it's just a little joke, baby. 
Yeah, I heard what she said to y'all. I heard what she said to y'all last week. She's going to teach you faith the right way. I heard about that. I heard. Took a shot at me. I, uh, I remember being so mad at her. I ran in there. I'd come out of the bedroom and went in there, and she was washing dishes. And I was going to grab her by the arm. She's got her back to me. I was going to grab her, and just as I just touched her on the arms, the Holy Ghost said, how long are you going to do this? Because I wasn't going to break her. I was just going to spin her around and tell her off. Like what I'd already said wasn't enough. I had said plenty. All red-faced and angry. And the Holy Ghost said, how long are you going to do this, John? How long are you going to go through this cycle? I turned around and walked out of the kitchen, walked down the hallway, the bedroom and sat on the bed and said, Lord, you got to help me. It's not about it. It's not her. It's me. I got to get over this. I got to help me, Jesus. And when I just prayed like that, I'm telling you, it was like a cool breeze went from the top of my head and just me, me in an empty bedroom, just me and God. And it went all the way to my feet. Just this cool, miraculous, spiritual breeze blew down through my soul. And all my anger went away. I knew it was demonic. I didn't know it before, but when I took time to pray, you understand? Walked in there and I said, honey, I'm sorry. I'm not here to make you mad. And I'm, I really apologize for all the anger that I've shown you here. She put down her dishes and dried her hands and turned around and said, look at me. I looked at her and she said, you've changed, haven't you? I said, yeah, I did. She said, okay, good. And I never went back. I didn't say I hadn't been angry since then. She still says things I don't understand. Why she would say them. She still does it because she's still a woman. I don't want her to be a man. <laughs> Although that's very popular nowadays. I don't want my wife. I want my wife to be a woman. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of in us ordinarily. It's kind of in us innately. If it, my boys, whenever four and five years old, Brandon comes in screaming, Daddy, Daddy! Grabbing his arm and Eric hit me with a stick. Eric hits you with a stick. Eric, get in here. He comes in. He doesn't have the stick, you know. He <laughs> kind of showing his hands like this, like I've never touched a stick in my entire five years. <laughs> my whole life. I don't even know what a stick is. Comes in and he says, I said, Eric, did you hit him? He says, No, no. Well, Dad, here's how it went. I was holding a stick, and Brandon's arm went into it. I said, three times? Yeah. Yeah, Brandon's arm just went into it three times. I said, you didn't swing it. No, Brandon's arm went into the stick three times. Well, so he's just, he's just, I said, I can't get that in my head, son. So I, I took the stick and used it on him. 
But you understand? It's just kind of human nature to find somebody else to take the, take the fall. It happened early on. Human nature in the sense of fallen human nature, not Christian human nature, the fallen human nature. Who told you you were naked, Adam? <laughs> Have you eaten of that fruit, eaten of that tree I told you not to? The woman you gave me. You and her are, to, are at fault here. I just ate, I didn't do nothing bad. I just ate a piece of fruit that she gave me and you gave me her. Did that fix anything? No. Got his stinky rear end thrown out of the garden. That's what that got him. It doesn't fix anything. It never does. Blaming others never, never fixes anything. And it's kind of a natural thing. But the, the success of the early church was that they tended not to do that. The success of the early church was that they refused to be hindered by what was going on in the political world and in the, and in the socio-economic world. They just refused to be hindered by it. You see almost nothing in Scripture blaming the emperors, and the emperors were the problem. The emperors were the problem with society at the time. Rome was a wonderful idea in concept, but when, they, when it became empirical, it became extremely tyrannical and oppressive and brutal. And I think it's kind of interesting that the first king, the first emperor of Rome, or king, if you will, was a guy named Augustus. Augustus comes on the scene, and he reigns for many years. I think maybe even as many as 60 years, 50 or 60 years, something like that. He's the son, the adopted son, if you will, of Julius Caesar. And it says, in the came to pass in the days of Caesar Augustus that there went out a decree that all the world should be taxed. You know what this is the story, the beginning of the story? It's the story of Christmas. God is about to birth his king in the earth. Man has raised up his first emperor in the Roman Empire. And God's got His emperor on the way. Glory to God. After him was Tiberius. And all under Tiberius, who was a tyrant as well. All under tyrant Tiberius' reign. Jesus' ministry and all of His miracles went on. Under Tiberius, we get the death of Christ. We get the resurrection of Jesus. The most tyrannical government in the world could not keep Him from rising from the dead. Amen. Glory to God. We even got the day of Pentecost. It couldn't keep him from spreading his power everywhere. After him was Caligula. They're just getting worse, ladies and gentlemen. You might know him as Gaius. He goes by two names. Caligula, evil, unholy beast. On a scale of one to ten, he was a twelve. Evil, sinister, perverted freak. You know what we get with Caligula? We get the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. He was acting like Caligula one day, next day acting like Jesus. Right after that, we get the conversion of the Gentiles, the first Gentiles coming under Caligula, who only lasted for four years, 37 to 41, A.D. 37 to 41. Then comes Claudius, and the Apostle Paul starts writing the Bible. Claudius was no better than the rest, except he wasn't quite as perverted. He's an old man, kind of through with sex, I guess. 
Does it stop them? No, Paul starts writing the Bible. The Bible we're reading today. <laughs> After him comes Nero. We get the last 13 years of Paul's ministry under Nero. Where he writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, 2 Timothy. What would the Bible be like without the heart of the New Testament? We get this under Nero. No mention of Nero's name in the Bible. He's called Caesar, but no matter how bad they get, Washington is a perverse snake pit. Let's admit it. They're not going to stop us. No reason to blame them. Blame Washington for your problems. You're going to be blaming everybody from now on. You can succeed in life, praise God. Doesn't matter how bad the Canaanites are. Doesn't matter how big they are. Doesn't matter what empirical uh, mandates they put out, how, how they outlaw Christianity. We're still going to be here and we're still going to be the dominant force in the earth according to God's will. Stop blaming others. The fourth thing that keeps success from coming is we harbor unforgiveness and resentment. And that's such a personal thing. Oh, it's such a personal thing. Let me read something to you. Harboring negative emotions and anger means you are living with chronic stress. The type that eats away at you little by little and has been linked to these diseases. Listen, fatigue, back pain, upset stomach, headaches. Oh, okay, you can live with that. But how about heart disease, cancer, depression, autoimmune diseases, and reproductive problems? All because we harbor unforgiveness and resentment. This is somebody who's looking back. And the more you look back, the more opportunity you have for collision in your future, for tragedy in your future. The more you look back, you, you, you ever raised kids? Anybody in here raised, raised kids or been raising kids? Huh? You know one of the worst things they do is they don't watch where they're going. Am I wrong? My kids were the worst at looking at, well, Daddy, I think we ought to bang. Oh, I would have said stop, but you wouldn't have learned a lesson anyway. <laughs> I, 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 if I said watch where you're going a thousand times, or one time, I said it a thousand times. Watch where you're going. How many of you have ever said it to your kids? Yep. Yep. How many of you ever had your parents say it to you? Yep. They said it over and over and over because it's a tendency in human nature not to watch where we're going. Right. Right. We want to look where we've been. We made it worse on our little kids because we had an old station wagon that had those backward seats and we put them in there and they were always looking out. <laughs> they never got to see where we were going. They always seen where we went, where we had been. When do we get to sit in the front, Dad? <laughs> when you grow up. Yeah. Looking back, y'all heard me do this before and seen me do this before, but it's really an important exercise that we keep in mind. If you drive a car... One thing you know for sure about that car is windshields are this wide and rearview mirrors are this big. It's not a bad thing to glance in that rearview mirror, but if you drive down the road looking in that rearview mirror too long, your past is going to catch up with you. <laughs> your past is going to catch up with you. The same calamities that you think you avoided, you're going to find in front of you. You don't avoid anything by holding on to bitterness and resentment because that's just the living in a past that no longer exists. Hear me. 
You're living, reliving a past that does not exist. There is no such thing in reality as the past. There is only the present. There's only the present and possibly a future that's coming. We could even argue philosophically that there is a future because it's kind of in process all the time. The present and the future is always coming, but the past does not exist. Only in record. The past only exists in record and precedent set. It does not exist actually. It's not laying out there someplace for us to go there and revisit. Only in our memories. So the pa your past is not haunting you. Hear me. Your past is not haunting you. I'm not trying to psychoanalyze analyze you today. I'm just trying to help you get free. Your past is not haunting you. Your memories are. Amen. Your memories are. And you can be free from that. The first thing you have to do to be free from those haunting memories is to stop talking about it. Well, you don't know what she did to me. She broke my heart. Okay, hand it here. I'll patch it up for you and then move along. You can get fixed. You can be healed. Jesus came. To, came he said he was anointed to bind up the brokenhearted. I, you know, I don't like that brokenness talk. People talk about it, you know, a lot. Preachers talk about it. Oh, you've got to be broken before God. I said, pardon me, I was broken when I found him. Amen. Broken when he found me, he fixed me. I don't need no brokenness. I need fixedness. <laughs> Glory to God. I need to be patched. I need to be healed. And he healed me. He doesn't, he doesn't despise anybody who's broken. Of course not. But he's not, willing, not wanting you to be broken. He's wanting you to be whole and live for him and walk out in victory. Glory to God. And the, the quickest way to success for many of us, is to just forgive and get over the resentment. Get over the resentment. You've got to stop talking about your past if you want to be free from it. Because it doesn't really hurt the person that you've got the chain around. They don't even know you've got a chain around them. That chain's only connected at one end. It's only connected at your end. You think I'm holding them responsible. No, you're not. They're going to go home and live their lives. <laughs> they may not even know you're holding them responsible. Where is that chain connected? It's not connected to them at all. You think it is, but it's not. It's connected to you. And every day when you live with it, it just gets heavier and heavier. You saw the example. Israel, where are you? Oh, you're back there. You, you help me here, baby. Go up there and get one of those guitars. For those who didn't see this example, take your time. But I need it done right now. There you go. Come down here. Let, let Casey do it. Oh, stop whistling, you wolf. <laughs> All right, Casey, hold, hold your arm straight out, son. All right. Now, is that heavy? It's not? Number five. <laughs> Verse 4, he says, And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Oh, oh, oh. Well, it wasn't heavy at first. No. But it kind of gets heavy, doesn't it? Yeah. Did this thing change? No. What, 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 what's, what's changing? I don't know. What's no. changing? Is this thing changing? No. What's changing? And something else. Your ability to carry it. Your ability to hold it. Holding resentment and bitterness hurts nobody. All it does, it doesn't even change the situation. All it does is changes your ability to carry it. You get weaker. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, thank you, Casey. Thank you. The longer you carry it, the worse it gets for you. It doesn't change a thing out there, holding on to it. All right, thank you, Casey. I appreciate you, brother. Even though you've whistled. Verse 4, they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. So now they've got a situation, they start thinking, All right, here's what we'll do. We'll all get together and we'll have an election. We'll elect us a captain. We'll call him Captain My Captain. You remember that guy wound up dead, right? Anyway, oh, Captain My Captain. We'll call him, a, he'll be our captain. We don't need a prophet. We're going to get a captain, and he's going to lead us. We're going back to Egypt. Let's see. Uh, now, we've got, to, we've got to make sure we get the right guy. You see, you get bogged down think, trying to think their way out of it. And they lost their vision for where they were going. And all they could think about is going back. You get bogged down the details of your life and of your situation. It's the quickest way to lose your faith vision. Lose your faith vision. You need a faith vision for the every day of your life. You need to get up every day and think, God, what do you have for me today? Now, now Frank doesn't have to do that because Greg does that for him. He provides a list. <laughs> provides a list for him to have to go to work every day. <laughs> But most of us have to have, to have a faith vision for every day. You need, <laughs> we joked about that quite a bit. You need a faith vision for every day of your life. Something hope-filled. Something joy-filled. Something to make you move forward. If it's nothing but making sure you pet the cat that day. Something that brings delight into your life. Something that keeps your hopes alive. You understand? We get bogged down in the details of the problem and lose our faith vision. The, this happened to our father in faith, Abraham. It happened to him. Remember, he's, he's in, the, uh, in his tent, and he says to the Lord, Lord, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? This is Genesis 15. Seeing I go childless. Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, Abram. What are you looking at when you're seeing yourself childless. What are you looking at? You see? What will you give me, Lord, seeing I go childless? He just lost his faith vision. He's looking at what is. And God says, mm, come out here. Call him out of his tent. He said, come out here. Just, and it had to be at night because he said, I want you to look up there and count the stars. All right, you go. I know how many there are. I want to see if you can count them. One, two, Lord, I can't do that. Take too long, it's too many. So shall your seed be. I want you looking at the stars when you're thinking about children. Don't be looking at your circumstances when you're thinking about your inheritance. I want you thinking about, I want you looking at the stars. Glory to God. I want you thinking big. Keep your faith vision alive because you can get bogged down in the details and get to thinking, well, you know, I could have a baby by Hagar. That didn't turn out all that good, did it? We're still dealing with that fiasco in the Middle East right now. Still dealing with it right now. 
one man's blunder, one man's stupidity, one man who lost for a bit his vision that was born of faith and began to get bogged down in the details of trying to how to make this, how, how we're going to make this happen. I'm moving on. Verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel, and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, tore their clothes. And they spake unto the, all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, or they, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Verse 10, But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. The glory of the Lord appeared? The glory of the Lord appeared? Listen to me. When you're challenged and when you're faced with struggles, this may just be an opportunity for God to show up big on your behalf. This is an opportunity for God to show up big on your behalf. Number six, we fail to see the spiritual forces behind the problem. One of the things that keeps us from moving forward and, and, and having our success, oftentimes, is you fail to see the spiritual forces behind the problem. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but let's just move along. The next, the next passage, and I'm not going to read the entire passage, but I just, I'll suffice to say the Lord is angry. He gets real angry over it, and he says some terrible things about Israel. He's going to wipe them out and make, make Moses a great, a great family, a great nation. And Moses then intercedes, beginning with verse 13. Moses begins to intercede, and he talks to God all about what's going to happen to his reputation and his people. And then verse 22 says, Because all these men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt, God says, and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land. So he judges, he makes a judgment here, and says all these people are going to die in the wilderness except for two guys, Joshua and Caleb. Okay? I'm not going to let them go in. So God passes judgment upon Israel right there and says you're going to, you're going to be in this wilderness for 40 years until you're all dead. Now, interesting thing happens in verse 40. Israel repents. A little late, but we're going to read beginning with verse 40. And they rose up early in the morning and got them up into the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here, and will go up into the place which the Lord hath promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, Wherefore now do you transgress into the commandment of the Lord? But it, but it shall not prosper, verse 42. Go not up, for the Lord is not among you, that ye be not smitten before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and ye shall fall by the sword, because ye are turned away from the Lord. Therefore the Lord will not be with you. But they presume to go up unto the hill. Interesting thing happens here. They repented and said, We have sinned. But that did not make it right with God. How much repentance pre preaching have you heard through the years that says that's what makes you right with God? They repented and admitted they'd sinned. That didn't make them right. He said, God's still not with you. Because you can say you repent, but if there's no faith working, 
If your faith vision is not working and you're only doing it because of guilt, it doesn't work. It won't change your life. I could preach on sin all day long because I know all of them. I know about all the sins. I raised two sons. I, I could preach on sin all day long, but it doesn't change a thing. I can make you feel bad for, 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 for doing the wrong things. I could make you feel bad. I know how to do it. I used to do it all the time. I was a youth pastor, Israel, and I had to preach against sin, I thought. It didn't work. I could get them to cry and mourn and weep, but it didn't change anything. When I started preaching faith, the way the Bible teaches faith, that's when my audiences began to change. Their lives began to change. They started cleaning up. They started abandoning sin. When I preached the grace of God through the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, I just saw people just abandon their sinful conditions, abandon their sinful habits, just walk away, come forward and admit that they've been sinning. I didn't ask you that. I didn't preach against I know, but the Lord's convicting me. Because the Lord follows the message He really wants preached. The message he wants preached is not how bad you've sinned, how, 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 how stupid you are. He wants a message preached that you are somebody in Christ. Amen. That the power of God is in you. And you can live above these, these menial, stupid things that keep you down. You've been bought with a price, praise God. Hallelujah. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God be for us. Who can be against us? It doesn't matter who's against you. They presume to go up. They say, oh, we've sinned. We're going to go do it now. Now see, now they're still not listening to the Lord. Which means they waited too long to take action. I want to say to you, they were still going to go into, into the land of promise. And just because you've missed it at some point or another doesn't mean that you can't move forward. Doesn't mean that you can't go on. But what it does mean is you need to wait on instruction from the Lord. So you stole a pack of gum. Don't walk down there to the grocery store and hand them another pack of gum. That's not going to change anything. Unless you get instruction from the Lord to do that very thing. When you get instruction from the Lord, that's when you move forward. When you know He's talking to your heart about something. Years ago, I had to fire a man. I fired him easily. I gave him a year to go to another city and start another church, another ministry, and I paid his salary. I fired him easy because it was a Christian man and Christian ministry, and I don't like just handing somebody a two-weeks paycheck and say, I hit the road. I don't like that. And he was a good man, decent man, but he and I just did not see eye to eye on some things, and I went anyway. A couple of years ago, his name came up in a conversation I was having with my then boss. I now have my boss's job. <laughs> but my then boss, I was having a conversation with him, and he said, I know a guy, he said, I know two guys, but I know this one guy I know could lead this, this part of our ministry at CFNI. And I said, is the other guy so-and-so? Named his name. He said, yeah. I said, I want him. Here was a guy I had to fire a few years back. I knew who he was thinking about. I knew it. And I knew that God was putting me in a position to make some things right. 
I said, I want him. He said, you sure this other guy's really good? I said, I want this one. He said, well, you're going to have to be working with him. I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I still want that one. He's working for me now at CF&I, and he's one of the best men I have. I'm about to give him a promotion. Amen. Because he's doing so well. He, he got over his hurt. I got over mine. He was hurt. I was angry. I wasn't hurt at all. That's why I know this anger thing so well. He, oh, he did such, oh, such stupid things. But, but the Lord knows how to make it all come around if you're willing to hear his voice. Let you move forward. Not, not, not when you want to. I, wanted to. I wanted to make this right with him about five years ago. It wasn't right. You got to wait on the right time. So, but the reason why success avoids us sometimes is because we wait too long to act. The reason why the Goliath stood for 40 days bellowing his threats in 1 Samuel 17 was because they didn't do anything on day one. And by the time 40 days, that's a month and 10 days. By the time 40 days had gone, that's actually a full month in most Jewish calendars. By the time the 40th day came around, David comes out there, it's day one to him. He's never heard this, this, these insults. Day one, and he's fighting mad. He said, why hadn't somebody done something about this guy? You know why they hadn't? They were all fighting men. Eliab is there. Shammah's there. David's older brothers who taught him how to fight, they're all there. And he knows that these guys could take this bozo out. And he knows it because he knows one thing for sure. He, said, he, he keeps saying the secret of David's success is found in this, this thought. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Why does he keep calling him circumcised in the ears of all of God's people there? Because they're all circumcised. And he knows that a guy with no covenant has no chance against any one of God's people who do have covenant. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He doesn't have a chance. You have a covenant with God. Take him out. Nobody taking him out. Why? They all, and, he, and David's right about that. They all had covenantal power working behind them, working for them. Why didn't they take him out? Because they listened to him for 40 days. And they started believing what he said. And they did not see themselves as a, as a success. They saw themselves as failures. They saw themselves as the, fee, as the food for the birds, the fowls of the air, and the beasts of the field, just like he said. So why does success sometimes escape us? Number one, we let fear of failure stall us. We think more than we pray and confess. We tend to blame others. We harbor unforgiveness or resentment. We bog down in the details of the problem and lose our faith vision. We fail to see the spiritual forces behind the problem and we wait too long to take action. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we can learn from mistakes and rise above it all by hearing the word of truth. 